Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant content from the field in the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me today is Dan and Holly. Guys, welcome back. Say hello. Hello, Steve. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm a little tired today, but I'm doing well. You don't look well. Thanks. Thanks. Am I pale? I think you look great. Oh, yeah, Holly's always so uplifting and positive. And, and fake. Unlike Daniel. <laughs> um, so we got two calls to go over today. Okay. Do some case review. But more importantly than maybe the call, or just as important, is some of the steps that were taken afterwards to deal with some residual symptoms. Not like big bad things that grew into PTSD, but like stuff that were problematic that needed to be addressed. So That's good. And the important thing is addressing them to begin with yeah. will help prevent yeah. PTSD. Um, you know, one of the things I actually just spoke yesterday to um, a group of probationary members of our department about some peer support related items and then um, also about safety nets and the idea of working on your safety net now um, and kind of thinking about what your safety net is before you have either that sentinel event call, but more commonly is just that, you know, regular grind that just builds up and builds up and builds up. What do you mean by safety yeah. net? Yeah. Like so what we call safety friends? net, it's kind of all the things. It's what you fall back on when crap hits the fan. And it's also the thing that's going to prop you back up and help you recover. Um, once you've made that, um, or, you know, you've, you've had that event occur, mm-hmm. whether that's at, at work, at home, you know, um, whatever it is, a relationship thing, a bad call you went on. Um, it can be a variety of stuff, or it can be a combination of, of all the above. Mm-hmm. But the safety net that you create is all the good habits that you have. So, and we, we kind of call this the duh slide that we go over, right. but it's, um, you know, good sleep, not overly, not drinking too much. You know, staying away from smoking, things like that, but eating well, um, exercise, you know, and, exercise <laughs> uh, and also forming good relationships around you. So friendships, French, uh, with uh, uh, family relationships, um, and it's, it's all of those things combined that when you get overloaded and stressed out and have a negative event occur, you can fall back on those good habits to help get you through um, the recovery from that um, bad event. And so the other thing, oh, and the other thing that's really important is um, having some form of therapy or counselor relationship built so that you don't have to go find one right. mm-hmm. when the bad stuff happens. Because inevitably, life's going to throw you some curveballs, and you got to be able to um, adjust. And the way that you can do that is by having all these things in place. <clears throat> so... We talked about that, um, and this, you know, the stuff we're going to talk about today kind of discusses those items post-call, um, but there's still a lot of stuff to learn from the calls, too, so oh yeah, excited to get some questions from you guys, and I'll give you whatever info I have, and if I don't know it, I'll probably make something up, but <laughs> <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> it won't be too uh, egregious, um, and won't, won't change anything, you know, massive about the call or anything, so... Want to get started on? Let's do it. Call number one. Okay, so 
I'll give you the dispatch info, and then I'll let you guys, I want to hear where your brains go, and we'll go from there. And this call just happened? Um, I've got two. One is recent. One is about a couple, three years ago. Okay. Um, so, in the station, five-person crew, okay. two-person medic, three-person engine. Uh, in our first due, tapped out for a motor vehicle accident. And the, so obviously, tones go off, we head out, um, getting engine, we're getting our gear on. And so it's going to be medic, engine. Yeah, so then with this dispatch, we also get a BC. Okay. Because we're in our first in district, and we're not going out to a rural area or anything. So we get... Uh, battalion chief headed our way, and then um, we're in the rig. We hear him going route, and we're getting our gear on. What Looked type at, of a road is it on? Um, Two-lane highway. Okay. Um, major intersection uh, that kind of connects two towns of our area. So, Artie, you're, you're thinking this could be bad? Yeah, it's a bad, it's a, bad area. It's a bad intersection. Okay. Um, one... One uh, lane of traffic is going, I want to say, about 40 through the intersection. The other one is like, it's like a 45-mile-an-hour zone, but it drops to 30 before the intersection, So, it, but people never slow down. You right. know, so they just burn through it. It's pretty high speeds. Yeah, decently high speeds, but not highway, highway. Um, but still, people go fast enough, you know, on this place. So, um is the intersection like a light, or is it more of uh, just a four-way? It's a four-way stoplight. Four-way yeah. stoplight, okay. Mm-hmm. Stoplight, like like a blinking yellow, but they got to stop coming east-west. Um, It's a four-way, like, red-green-yellow stoplight. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, what do you call that? Stoplight. Stoplight, stop <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, shoot, does stoplight mean blinking red light? I don't know, buddy. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. We're, I think okay. we're picturing, like, <laughs> yeah. the same thing. Yeah. But Okay, so it's a four-way intersection with a stoplight. Yes. Organized. Okay, yes. got it. Um, so most of our, I would say the, mo- the most um, common wreck we go on is just short of that intersection, um, not actually in the intersection. Mm-hmm. So um, people jamming on their brakes for whatever reason, you know, all sorts of things. So we're getting dressed. Um, I take a quick glance at the computer and uh, mentions multiple vehicles involved and one motorcyclist. And they believe the motorcyclist is pinned. So um, I do this thing and I don't, my intentions are always good. I don't know if it, always achieves the objective I'm shooting for. But when we have something unique on the computer, I like to get my crew's mindset in the right spot because we go on a lot of stuff that's not critical, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, like 90% of what we go on. Right. And when there's something that is, oh, this is going to be different. This is most likely going to be pretty bad. I like to get their brains in the right spot so that we're not responding like ho-hum, Here's yeah. another little fender bender. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw the motorcyclist pinned, I announced that into our bay as I'm getting dressed. And that kind of got everyone's attention. And then I reminded our uh, 
uh, our medic unit to let us leave first so that we can block as we're approaching and create a buffer zone for them um, so that they can operate in a safe manner. So... How far away is your hospital? From the from intersection? The right, yeah. um, probably a solid... If you're going code three with regular amount of traffic, probably 12 minutes. Okay, so pretty close. Yeah. Um, we get an update in route and uh, multiple callers on this and they keep mentioning um, motorcyclist, motorcyclist uh, has been, uh, is pinned under a vehicle. So <clears throat> we're approaching the intersection it's not that far from our station. It's maybe a mile and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. That pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, we're approaching, and it's past the intersection um, is where we're headed. And it's kind of a one of those, like, yard sales. You can mm -hmm. just see debris everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. There is a pickup truck that's 90 degrees to the intersection, to the lane of travel that it was in. And it was pulling a um, uh, like a flatbed trailer, like a landscape type yeah. type thing. Um, it's mangled. That trailer is mangled underneath a semi, which is rested up against the driver's side door of that pickup. Okay, that so is, already this is different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing a lot of stuff that's like, oh, man. And the thing that was a challenge for me was it was such a wide scene. So I'm having to, like, scan a wide area and then relay that in a windshield report, you know? Right. So can I interject, ask yeah. request <clears throat> real quick. And so when you read that stuff on the MDT, did you upgrade your response at all at that time? Or yeah, you good wait? question. So um, our BC was already in route and he upgraded oh, okay. the response. He asked for another engine and another medic unit. So that got things going as we were getting dressed. Okay, good. Um, do then, you have like a tech rescue or heavy rescue that um, we have rescue engines that all have um, extrication equipment on them, mm -hmm. but we do not have a dedicated rescue or heavy rescue um, in our town. So I'm looking at this one lane of travel and I'm seeing that semi rested up against the pickup. And I look to what was my right and across the other lane, the opposite lane of travel in a ditch is an SUV with a guy pinned underneath it. His motorcycle is yard sailed into a bunch of plastic and parts down that same lane he was traveling. So from what we gathered, and this is kind of a, you know, just to kind of help wrap people's brains around it because they can't see it and talking about it hypothetically. Um, he, the way that this occurred, uh, semi was late to slam on its brakes as traffic was backing up at the intersection. Still going 40 miles an hour, hits an SUV in front of him, pushes that SUV into oncoming traffic, which mm. horrible timing, Yeah, smacks a, um, a motorcyclist and then pins him underneath the vehicle as it goes into the ditch um, across the lane of, traf lane of traffic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so when you say pinned underneath, could you access any body part of his? Was his legs pinned? Um, yeah, I'll get to that okay. in just a second, but that's a good question. Um, he was wrapped up underneath the rear axle. 
So we, where do I go from here? We got. So where do you park? Yeah. So we block both lanes. Um, we kind of do this, you know, diagonal right. um, uh, parking job. Our medic unit uh, parked in, there was actually like a, a coffee shop off to the um, the left of the intersection. So they just parked right in there um, and away from the, away from the vehicle, away from the accident. And so they're, they bring, you know, those two guys come up and our first, um, after we get out and we're kind of getting a lay of the land, everybody of course is coming up to us, right? Cause there's yeah. 20 people in cars that have gotten out. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. And they're all bugging us with, Hey, this, 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 and this. Yeah. Yeah. And our only, our, our sole goal at that point was um, getting the resources to that SUV to lift it off of mm-hmm. the guy that was pinned. So, can I ask another question? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, as you're arriving, do you have a specific person that's triage, or does do people just go their own way? How does that work? So initially, um, the way it was set up was um, I'm first arriving officer, so I took command, and then my two-person engine was operating on the driver's side of the vehicle and my two-person medic was operating on the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, We split them up that way because getting that rig off of that person was our number one priority. Um, Our BC was still a few minutes behind, so I'm initiating command, but I'm not going to maintain command. Right, right. Um, And we don't have initially any other resources there yet, so it's just us. Okay. so initially, the way we set it up was basically two people on each side. My firefighter on the engine that day pokes his head down underneath the vehicle, and look, you know, according to him, the story he tells is he pokes his head down there, and the guy starts talking to him and oh, says, <laughs> "Hey, uh, I'm in a lot of pain. Can you get this thing off me?" So. <clears throat> He relays that information back to me. Which is a good sign, right? Yeah. Chit-chatting. I mean, holy cow, the guy's mentating and uh, obviously in a lot of pain, but is able to talk. So, This is the part that makes me nervous. Like, yeah, the extrication right part. Right now, yeah. he's alert. And right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, trust me, I was thinking the same thing. So this this sounds horrible, but I think it's just the truth of extrication, right? Your... You're, the speed at which you're extricating someone is going to rapidly increase when you have a viable patient, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, things are going to slow down if you yeah, have a yeah. deceased patient, right? Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. We said it was off into a ditch. So is it like um, unsteady in a ditch? Yes. Okay. So if you can imagine, basically, this SUV is like a rectangle. Think of it like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a ditch, like a storm drainage ditch, that it's rested across. So it's... Back tires are on the roadway side, mm-hmm. and its front left tire is on the other side of the ditch. Oh. But its front passenger wheel is mm-hmm. just kind of free-floated and okay. not secured. So I'm not the extrication guru. I feel comfortable doing standard extrications, mm-hmm. um, but I'm no means an SME or anything like that. So the first rule, or the first thing we had to do was stabilize the vehicle, and then you know, the famous saying in extrication is lift an inch, crimp an inch. So anytime, what that means is anytime you're lifting anything at all, 
you have to put cribbing to support the progress you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> around this time, we're, we're kind of getting our bearings around what's going on. Next in engine and the BC show up. Um, I drop back to do a face-to-face with the battalion chief and our engine comes in and brings up their extrication equipment. So the way we broke it up was um, we grabbed two people off of that engine and put one person each on each side. So we have three people operating on each side. We're using airbags, which are not the typical airbag you think of in a vehicle. It's a, a lifting device that literally is like a, it looks like a flat piece of rubber mm-hmm. that you inject air into and it's rated to certain um, weights that it can hold. And so we've got a couple airbags supporting the left side, but we don't have enough airbags for the right side. Because so you have to you have to fill up the ditch with mm-hmm. the cribbing yeah. and then lift the car. Correct. Okay. And so we basically crib enough on the office or on the passenger side and uh, we used our hydraulic tools to get that extra inch or two that we needed um, to get enough space to pull this guy out. So that's the general layout of what's occurring over the next 10 or 12 minutes. Um, we, to kind of backtrack a little bit, once my battalion chief gets on scene, he and I do a face-to-face. And as I'm giving him report, one of my uh, firefighters runs back up and he's like, hey, um, the guy that we're extricating is saying he's feeling really, really tired and wants to go to sleep. Oh. And he says, quote, unquote, you have minutes left to get me out of here. Oh, geez. Those were his words to our crew. Which so, I mean, that's that's alarming. Yeah. Yeah. You mean you have that, um, I'm totally blanking on the term, uh, impending doom. Impending doom, doom. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we get to, we do the face-to-face, we get that information, start moving a little bit quicker even, and um, get another medic unit arriving. They stage next to the other one. The third one's coming in, but it's 10 or 12 minutes away. And we get to, I would say, another two or three minutes goes by. We yard this guy out, and he's, considering what happened, pretty okay. Can I ask where he was? Was he crushed? Was he yeah, pinned? Yeah, so he wasn't, he was pinned, but he wasn't crushed. Okay. Um, he based, from what we could tell, was run over and then dragged into the ditch. But because that ditch has that storm drainage space, mm-hmm. he basically wasn't, um, the amount that he was dragged across the pavement was about, I would say, less than 10 feet. And then the ground, there was that space, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't um, pavement that he rested on. Was he like, or was his clothes stuck on the <laughs> car? Was it like a body part or? Um, no, I mean, he... Oh, as far as like what kept him underneath it? Yeah. Um, I know his one of his legs was wrapped up in the rear axle. Oh, that'll do it. Um, <laughs> and that was, you know, obviously holding him there. Yeah. Um, his injuries were, I mean, he had some uh, fractures to his legs. He had a really nasty burn. 
from one of his thighs being up against the muffler. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, think of a contact burn that just goes through. Right. You know. Oh, God, that'd be miserable. Yeah. Um, and some broken ribs. And, but like, his head's totally normal. Uh, so we pull him out, um, get him onto a backboard, yard him up this ditch, put him on a gurney, and he gets transported. Talking to the crew that did that, that did that transport, it was obviously making him a trauma entry, going through all that criteria, but just pain management on the way up. Didn't even require airway management. That's good. Um, so he was he was pretty lucky. Did uh, they uh, use pelvic splint? Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, we have a look at sand you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, if your transport was any longer than twelve minutes, that's a c- totally different outcome. Yeah. 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 Someone with broken well, ribs, in a, broken legs, possibly a broken pelvis. And if he'd been, you know, dragged along pavement yeah. until that SUV crashed eventually into a tree across the ditch. At any point, did you consider air transport? I know no. you're close into town, Mm-mm. but even with an extrication? No, it would be against our protocol to do it that close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, we have to save 20 minutes is the, is the time frame. Yeah. So... What if, uh, let's say you get there, you realize the patient needs chest tube or needs blood or something like that. Would that change for your nope. protocol? Mm-mm. No, we would um, we would transport and do whatever we could do and then mm-hmm. give the hospital a heads up. Okay. Yeah. We've been on some close in um, on the air transport side, like long extrication. Mm-hmm. Like, like an hour-long extrication that needed blood and yeah, chest cool. tube. Um, because you can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But those are rare. So. Yeah. And it's not as much about the, the transport time as it is the, the treatment you can do on scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, continue on. So that was your only <coughs> patient? No. We have oh, two okay. more. Two more. Okay. So um, who the other the, two. Who did, like, the, the initial triage? I'm just curious. Um, that was me. Oh, you. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it was our crew, right? They're, I don't know if this is common terminology, but it's what we do. Um, we do what's called inner and outer circle. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yep. So basically, uh, firefighter, engineer, or firefighters, whatever you've got, are going to do inner circle, and they're going to triage you know, the inner part of, you basically draw a circle around the immediate area around the accident. And then uh, a lieutenant, or a company officer is going to do the outer circle, typically place things like um, a line for car fires, um, a fire extinguisher in case something gets out of hand, medical equipment or stage other tools as needed. And they're also going to walk a 360 around the intersection, around the uh, accident so that they aren't missing something, right? right like right. if everybody's unconscious in the vehicle and you miss the fact that one was launched right. 50 yards into a ditch, yep, you know, that's a big problem. So... Um, my crew did the inner circle, said that we had one red patient, two yellows, um, and the two yellows were in the vehicle that hit the motorcyclist and then subsequently went across the ditch into a tree. And So not the vehicle that he... So the vehicle that was dragging the motorcyclist, there were two people inside that vehicle that were your patient also. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's convenient. They're <clears throat> all right there. They're all right there, <laughs> yeah. Um, the semi and that pickup that I mentioned on the other side of the intersection or the other side of the lane of travel, um, 
they were refusing any sort of treatment. So we get to the spot where we need to extricate these, the driver and the passenger of that uh, SUV. And that all went pretty straightforward. Um, they were, you know, there wasn't really much. Did you have to extricate them because they couldn't open their doors or because they couldn't themselves get out of the car? Um, I mean, they were larger mm -hmm. people. Um, They couldn't get out. They also were complaining of some, you know, neck pain and chest pain because of the seatbelt and all that kind of stuff. Um, What from start of extrication to end of extrication, what was your time frame? 19 minutes. That's good. Yeah. Uh, 19 minutes to... From the time we arrived on scene to the time they left for the hospital. Oh, that's great. Minutes. That's that real was, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we felt good about that. Um, you know, it's hard not to look back and be critical of yourself oh, of course. with all this stuff. And then when you start to see, you know, well, shoot, did a bunch of stuff right. Um, it's hard to take those wins because you're always so focused yeah, on Yeah, you're trying to yeah, just what can I better. better. No, I did something wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, man, our crew smoked it. Um, they did a really good job. The The part that I haven't shared uh, that was extremely stressful and just it took my mind away from the scene, unfortunately, at times. Um, so this is it's hard to to share exactly what happened without like drawing it on a whiteboard. Right. But when that SUV was hit from behind, it had its back windows open. And in the back seat were three dogs. Two of the dogs got launched out of the vehicle at impact. One of the dogs got up after getting launched and ran off, and we don't know where it went. So there was people out looking for it, trying to trying to get it. The other dog that got launched out ended up pinned between the pickup that was hit and the semi that eventually ran into the back of it. So if you can imagine a two-lane road on one lane on the far left side is this semi and pickup truck. In the middle is this space that we're essentially creating all of our, you know, we're doing all of our, we're staging all of our gurneys, we're doing all of our radio traffic and um, organizing tool. stuff, staging all of our tools, yeah. And then on the other far right side is this other vehicle and motorcyclist that's pinned. And so as we're in between these two pieces of the accident, behind me is the semi and the dog uh, and pickup mess. And the dog has been critically wounded, but is not dead yet. And so it's oh actively, actively dying the entire time we're on scene. Oh my gosh. Is it like making, like squealing? Oh yeah. Noises? It's making oh all the gosh. noises you would oh. expect. And so I'm getting frustrated because I want to put the dog out of its misery. Mm-hmm. And our um, our police department had, um, they had been trying to get a hold of animal control, who does, you know, essentially put, put animals down that are, that need to be put down. And so I'm, I'm game planning with my Italian chief, like, hey, can we just load this thing up with some ketamine or something and just put it out of its misery? And we just couldn't get the right people to say yes to it, um, unfortunately. And we've also, ironically, run into 
um, some of the same situations where animals are critically hurt on scenes and we don't have a good protocol or policy for that. We need to, we need to have something Your law enforcement isn't willing to just put a bullet in. They all wanted to, but they seemed, they were, they were all very well aware that their department's policy is we need to have the right animal control officer on scene to do that specific intervention. So the, uh, the thing that was just, you know, the, over the, you know, we, we get back from the call, we're kind of high-fiving because it went really well um, in a lot of ways. And luckily my crew had no idea what was going on. They couldn't hear the dog. With the dog. With the, with the, yeah. the, oh, with the, the hydraulics The noise all of that. all the yeah. tools yeah. and everything. And so um, I'm telling them what I had heard, and they were like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. We didn't know that was going on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, glad that it was only myself and the battalion chief that had knowledge of that. Um, so over the course of like the next couple, three days, and this is kind of where, you know, moving on from the call, right? Of course, the next three days, I'm noticing that like, I'm irritable. I'm more on edge than normal. Um, I'm just grumpy and, um, I would just say overall irritated for seemingly no reason. Mm -hmm. And you know, the three of us have talked a lot about mental health and taking care of yourself. And so after a couple of days of kind of going, what the heck, I'm realizing like this call's bugging me and I've got some residual undealt with stuff that I need to go talk about. Which is a huge win, yeah. by the way, the recognizing. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of growth. Yeah, it is. It's a, it, it's a ton of growth because that would have never been on my radar five years ago. So, um, I, uh, I call up, uh, I get a, 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 I have a counselor that we see, my wife and I see, and I, I talked to her about it and just downloaded what was going on. And she was like, oh my gosh, Steve, that's, that's <laughs> awful, you know? Um, and I got to just get it off my chest because it was, it was there. I wasn't really fully dealing with it because it was so strange because it was t- closely tied to a, what we would consider a win. You know, like right. we, we train right. for rapid extrications and we got to do one yeah. and it went well. Um, but it was also tied with this horrible thing going on behind us that we had no control over. So it reminded me of the, you know, the difference between, um, reminded me of a couple of things. First off, the body keeps the score, mm-hmm. um, talking about how we receive information right into our thalamus, sensory input. So sight, smell, sound, mm-hmm. touch, all those things that we talk about. That goes straight to the thalamus. From there, and I'm looking at this diagram that um, Dr. Vander Kolk has in his, his book. Um, it goes to the amygdala where the amygdala is basically determining significance of that event. Mm-hmm. And for most memories that you see and you know hear and smell and touch and everything else and process, that amygdala sends it to the hippocampus where it gets organized from this and then it goes to the cingulate and then to the prefrontal cortex and you have this nice well-filed memory but with stuff like this where the amygdala goes hey this is a really significant memory and it's really stressful it actually kicks out stress hormones into the hypothalamus and so you know we've talked about it before and I, i've heard a variety of 
different things that um, people try to relate on, I would say, not well-processed memories as. And for me, it's always basketballs in the filing drawer. You can't slam the drawer shut. You can't close the folder that that drawer holds. And the fact that your body can't categorize it and store it appropriately kicks out stress hormones and you start seeing symptomology from that. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the science of the prefrontal cortex being Mm -hmm. offline during an event like that, Mm -hmm. which means your hippocampus is offline too. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to file it. Right. Even if you wanted to. And so you have this like, you know, I'm looking at other common symptoms that occur from this and irritability is a major one. Um, Aggression, trouble concentrating, trouble sleeping, um, feeling detached or a little numb um, immediately after in the days, you know, in weeks after. And eventually if those things aren't dealt with and the symptomology continues, um, it coalesces into PTSD after a month um, per the... After a month? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is really interesting because we were just doing a training on every person being a peer. Mm -hmm. And after a call like that, going through all of the senses or being like, how did that call go? What do you remember the most? What did it smell like? Did you, you know, did you hear anything weird? Like going through all of those senses, once you're out of the fight or flight and your prefrontal cortex is back online and your hippocampus is back online, going through all of those things with each other, even if it's a five minute conversation can really help refile things away. So you don't have that. Mm -hmm. And so he was starting processing it that day, right? When he was talking with the crews, Mm -hmm. he probably didn't let everything out. You were still trying to, you know, trying to. Mm -hmm. Still still dealing with little bits of it. Right. Right. And so it's, it's not um, so massive that I feel completely detached from my surroundings. I feel like my I'm in, you know, uh, fight or flight mode, um, or I feel like I am, um, I'm not safe, you know, anything like yeah. that. It was, I just hadn't dealt with it. Yeah. I'd, I'd started the process, you're right, by talking, doing the bumper mm-hmm. chats that we do, hot washing, whatever people call it, um, and you just check in with one another, and um, that's that's a part of it. Like it's absolutely a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those ones that like need more attention beyond that, it's so vital to have a counselor or more people that you can go talk to. And I I really enjoy talking to people that aren't firefighters or paramedics. Really? Yeah. And when, But they have to have medical training. Like, uh, And I'm not trying to puff up Holly here, but like a nurse who can ask <sighs> questions here we go. Is, is so awesome. Um, and I've got a couple of nurse friends that, yeah, what was that like? You know, tell me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're trying to explain some of it, which helps you kind of go back a little bit and, you know, process through. I can um, understand that because some people might be like, what extrication tools did you use? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Instead of, we could right. do better than that. Right. Yeah. 18 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, we would have been 10 or less. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that <laughs> more objective approach to it. Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was. That was the call, and that was the end result. And I, I think that having that safety net to fall back on mm-hmm. um, is so. Like it, it's. I would never do this job without it. So here you are. You 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 run a business, right? You have family, all that kind of stuff. You have all this chronic stress mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And then you have this acute thing happen, which is huge. I mean, I can't imagine the dog 
Yeah. Right? I just uh. can't imagine that. That is just. Yeah. I've dealt with deer and things like that, but never a dog. Mm-hmm. So you have that, and for if you didn't have that safety net, that could be the whole. Even if it's not as significant as maybe a dead baby or something, but that could be the thing that just topples it over. Yeah. And it seems like those are the parts of the event that keep coming back to you. Like we talked with Ben on a previous podcast mm-hmm. about the color of the water right. and the mm-hmm. lake in front of his house. Or like for you, for example, it was a t-shirt or mm-hmm. just being able to um, like embody those feelings because you had a child that age. I mean, mm-hmm. it, sometimes it's not even the big call. It's like those random things, the like the thing. sounds or a music that was playing in the background or right. things like that that can tip it's you over. It's all sensory inputs. It yeah. is it's all sensory. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing is, is that you, when we first talked with you about your PTSD Mm -hmm. um, story, you had no personal awareness of those feelings Mm -hmm. that you have now. Oh, totally. Like this, 10 years ago, this call would have just sat there and accumulated and you would have been pissed off and terrible for your family to be around. And yeah. Other thing on the plate for sure. Yeah. So that awareness is really important. Yeah. And telling stories about it is yeah. really important, too, because we've all felt that way. Yeah. And, like, why am I so irritable today? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're still mm-hmm. processing and dealing with it right now by just talking about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. So. And I think when we say processing and dealing with it, people are like, oh, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. No. Mm-hmm. It's just the little things that we do see and hear and do every day. Mm-hmm. They all need to be put away appropriately. I've got one more call. Very similar, um, I would say, similar amount of significance, similar amount of residual symptoms. So, you guys ready? Let's do it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me give you some background information about the day that we're dealing with. Um, I'm on a three-person crew. And um, we go we go see the same guy twice in a day. Um, people call on his behalf, and then when we get there, he doesn't want to go to the hospital. But he's so a houseless a hot individual. Mess. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, transient male, newer to town. Okay. Um, and is looks re- really disheveled. Um, I never smelled alcohol on him or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was much more of a mental health mm-hmm. type issue. Um, don't know if he was using drugs. Never got to that point with him. But we've been been hearing about people going on calls for this guy, and then we're, we see him twice that day. Um, cops call us for an eval on the second one. We can't make the guy go. He's alert and oriented enough to make his own decisions so so question for you yeah what is your <clears throat> what is your cap talk going on i mean i know what mine would have been we're wondering if it's the same guy okay yeah we don't know if it's the same guy for sure because this is the first day that we've dealt with him but we're all wondering are we going back on this guy again because mm-hmm. it was within a decent walking distance of the previous one okay and we know he's on foot so we're wondering are you it sounds are like you, the same guy it's probably the same guy irritated yeah okay yeah we're absolutely irritated okay because that um, changes, I mean, it changed my level of care and assessment. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also recognize that, like, our, our crew has a rule, like, 
you can bitch as much as you want on the way to the call. And as soon as you step out of that rig, your, your attitude has to change. I love it. Um, and so we generally give ourselves a five to eight minute bitch session. And then we hop out and we're professional. Well, that's therapeutic in its own right. way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get to, so that's the background of the day. Okay. okay? We go to bed, wake up around 1130 ish i'm sorry one sec have you already yeah. gone on him twice or you've only gone on we've him already gone on him twice okay so this is fast forward after that last call okay got it it was probably four hours prior to and it was just someone called on his behalf he didn't want mm-hmm. you there okay yep. no medical need at that no time medical need at that time so cops call us for a code three medical um and we get in the rig we're looking at the cad notes and they are mentioning that there is a middle-aged man who was pulled over uh, for a possible DUI, and he's complaining of chest pain. So we're like, huh, okay, well, here we are going to this call. So it's at um, a building downtown, uh, kind of near um, the main area of our town. Just a lot of tall buildings there. Okay. So... Um, we show up and we don't see any cop vehicle. So I'm trying to find out exactly where we're at. Get a hold of dispatch. They say, officer's going to come up and chat with you guys. Well, <laughs> this officer comes running up from uh, this parking garage that was a floor below this building. Kind of pops, uh, pops her head out and is like, hey guys, he's down here. And we're like, oh, okay, he's in a parking garage. That's, I thought this was a traffic stop. Right. You yeah. know? So we have the gear for a chest pain medical call. Mm-hmm. And we walk down to this, um, I would say it's like a, you know, the entrance before you go into a parking garage? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like right before that. And this um, building was three stories above ground but then it had this you know area you could drive down and then go under into a a one-story parking garage well we make we round the corner and the lady as we're rounding the corner says yeah he jumped and we're like what happened to the drunk chest pain guy (laughs) and they're like huh no that's not this guy jumped from the top of the building and we're like what? Oh, you weren't ready for this? So get an engine, get a BC coming. Um, and He's alive? Yeah, barely. Uh, he jumps from the fourth floor. He's in a puddle of blood. And His he legs landed are in. inside the parking so, garage? I'm trying to visualize that part. So he landed just outside the entrance to the oh, parking garage. Oh, got it. Okay. So you didn't have to actually go into it, just no. on like the sidewalk area gotcha. in the front. Okay. Yeah. So the... Three stories above ground with the one story below right. ground, four stories total, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the same guy that, that we've been with. going on earlier that day. He got trespassed from the ER, and then uh, the cops are taking him back to book him at the station, and he breaks free, runs up to the top of this oh. outside staircase, jumps. Oh, so... <laughs> We're Gosh. we're like completely blown away that 
we're now dealing with this, right? It caught everybody so off guard. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're trying to relay our uh, location to the incoming units. We're trying to, you know, bandage this guy up. Um, he's got open fracture everything. Yeah. Um, he's just a, a mess. Um, get a line on him. Uh, he's got a decent blood pressure. We give him some Versed and some fentanyl and wrap him up, and we, you know, transport him code three. Conscious, unconscious? Um, <clears throat> initially conscious, kind of going in and out mm. on on transfer. Um, and in route, it was more of the same. Uh, we intubated him, uh, managed his airway, dropped nice. him off. And so we get to the ER, give the pass down, and then we're kind of talking to the cops afterwards, and they're like messed up. Oh, you know, they just <laughs> can. Yeah, can you imagine? They're that? walking a guy to the booking area yeah. outside, and he breaks oh, free from their walking. grasp. Oh, okay, yeah. I was like, runs jump upstairs, out of the car? sees another cop coming at him, and just jumps. And so they're like, just beside oh, themselves. They had to hear and see that. You yeah. Know? Um, so we're talking to them. They're beat up about it too, um, and we. End up going back to our station, chit-chat about it as a crew. Um, and again, it's one of those things where, like, we had this weird pairing of a trauma call that went really, really well, paired with a, oh, my gosh, that caught us so off guard. Yeah. We were not ready for that. We had to send one guy back to get all of our trauma equipment that we didn't have with us because we didn't oh, expect no. to be on a trauma yeah. call. Yep. Um, and so... You know, he's running up the entry to this um, you know, parking garage entrance. And just, it was less than ideal. But um, very similar to that first call, over the course of about a week, I'm realizing that I'm just irrita irritated. And I'm tired and I'm exhausted for no seemingly good reason. And um, it took me longer on that one to figure out what was going on. This is before you, how many years ago was this? This was shortly after, like, my complete recovery from okay. uh, the PTSD stuff. So this was, like, two, three years ago. Okay. Probably three years ago. Yeah, it was, it was a summertime call in the COVID era. So okay. two, three years ago. And luckily, got to go home, kind of debrief it with with my wife and then uh, had a coffee with a buddy the next day. And I'm, I'm not really doing this on purpose, but I'm catching myself, you know, segmentally processing this whole thing. And my buddy wasn't on the call, but he's another Lieutenant in our organization. So we're having coffee and I'm telling about, it and he's like, Holy cow, man, like that's insane. You know? And I'm starting to kind of pick up on, Oh yeah. Like, this is a significant event, <laughs> yeah, right. you know? <laughs> and it's so weird when you're in it, you don't necessarily consider mm -hmm. it. But when you get that thousand-foot view of someone else's experience, yeah. you can call it out real easily. Um, How different do you think it would have been for you had you been called on a jumper? You, you know you're going on a jumper, so your mindset's already there. Mm -hmm. How different do you think it would have been for you? Um, we would have processed it. After that call and been done. Yeah. Yeah. It was the complete 
getting caught off guard part. Because you kind of feel like you were a shit show, basically, right? Yeah. We don't like going into things unprepared. The familiarity of knowing the person, too. Mm -hmm. Most of our (laughs) patients are like complete strangers. Mm -hmm. And this one you'd already seen twice that day. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole element, too. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good point. Jeez, Steve. I think the the take-home point for this podcast that I think we want to get across is safety nets are so important and those creating those good habits now um, you, it's never too late to start but yeah. the sooner you can the better um, because there's just so much good that comes from it and when you're maxed out because of an event a call whatever having that to fall back on is so important yeah and if you're looking for a counselor when you're in a crisis like just making phone calls when you're in a mm. crisis is like a monumental task right. sometimes. You don't yeah, have the patience. Really and just, I don't know, it's free. Mm-hmm. EAP is free for however many visits, right? So go and interview some. Yeah. yeah. Talk to before the event. Yeah. Yeah. Is that before, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you've got the, you've got the um, benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talked sometimes when I go to my shrink, I'm like, we just chit-chatted. You just charged me to socialize with you for an hour <laughs> um, but sometimes that's what it is you know right. and, and if you can socialize i guess with your shrink that's good so it's a good therapeutic um, relationship it doesn't always have to be that i have something really important to talk about yeah. it could just be like hey i have this really high stress job mm-hmm. i might need you someday so let's start talking yeah. and here's the update on the last stuff that you know we talked about yeah just give an update to screen and too. then you can interview them and see if they can handle the stuff you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the hard part. Sometimes you're going to run into therapists that can't handle the yeah. stuff that we see and deal with. So you got to find someone who's culturally competent. Mm-hmm. That's our episode. That was good, Steve. That was good. I appreciated chatting with you guys about that. It's always therapeutic for me. Yeah. And I think for all of us, when we get to talk about stuff we've seen and dealt with. And Storytelling is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's part of the therapy. It's like the biggest yeah. part. Absolutely. Well, let's leave it there and we'll um, catch everybody on the next one. But thanks for hanging out today and chit chatting, guys. Thanks for the coffee. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs>